Hello, everyone, and welcome to Platwoods Church Online. My name is Evie Martin. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to wish everyone a happy new year. And in that spirit, I have some special news to share with you before we begin the message today. On Christmas Eve here at Platwoods Church, every year we take up a special offering, and 100% of that offering leaves this building. It goes out our doors. We give it away. It goes to support ministry partners that we have, Della Lamb Community Services, Hillcrest Platte County, Care Portal, ministries that are helping refugees in our community, uh, the people who are experiencing homelessness in our community, and families that are struggling to get by. Last year, that offering was an amazing $75,000. And this year, I'm excited to share with you our our preliminary total, because we're still counting online gifts, is also 75000 with more still being calculated and coming in. I am so thrilled. I, I can't even express. I just found this out this morning. And I'm so thrilled that we are going to exceed our generosity of last year to bless people in our community. I'm absolutely amazed. So I just wanted to begin by celebrating that and thanking you. We'll have a, a final total probably within the next week or so, but I want to thank you for your generosity and the ways that you bless this city. During one of our many events here at Platwoods Church in the holiday season, I found myself uh, back in the wiggle room here in our worship center with my seven-year-old who needed a little extra activity to stay in line. Parents, you know the drill. So we were back there and we ended up playing Candyland. I haven't played Candyland in a long time. I loved playing it as a kid, so I dove right back in, lured in by the delicious-looking candy and jolly characters along the trail. If you're lucky when you play, right off the bat, you can get on the rainbow trail or the gumdrop pass and cut off an entire corner of the game. Or if you take the usual path, you journey through the peppermint forest and then past the peanut brittle house. And then, of course, if you draw a particular card with a lollipop or a frosty ice cream on it, you get to advance all the way to the square that has that image, passing up all your opponents. Victory is drawing nigh. But then, you remember what happens. You're three squares away from the candy castle at the very end, in my son's case, about to beat your mom and claim your title as Candy King. You turn over your next card, and it's... A sugar plum. Blasted sugar plum. It sends you all the way back to the very beginning of the game. If you're my son, Laz, there is much weeping and gnashing of teeth, throwing of the game pieces, whining about the injustice of life, and exclaiming, no, now I'm starting all over. Starting over, especially in Candyland, can feel so fruitless. It's super frustrating as you look at all the progress you had made, now completely lost. It makes the work you've done feel meaningless. You start questioning your purpose. Why are you even here in Candyland to begin with? You wonder how long it's going to go on like this. You might be stuck here playing this endless cycle of a game forever. Why does your luck always seem to change right at the worst possible moment? How will it be any different this time around? I'm not so sure we're just talking about Candyland anymore. Starting over is hard, no matter what the game. And here we are at a natural starting over point, one week into a new year. 
And while not every new year brings us back to square one in life, it is a time that we are conditioned to reflect on where we are, what we want to let go of, and what we'd like to take on. In the best of circumstances, we have a lot of say in shaping the life that we'd like to have, but the vast majority of people find themselves in some amalgamation of factors and events, some of which they have control over, most of which they do not. Life happens to us a lot of the time, and we can end up not quite where we want to be on the Candyland board. A new year gives us a moment to take stock of where we are and maybe start over in ways that are helpful to us rather than throwing the game pieces across the room. So what story of faith do we have? Where might we turn in scripture in this new year to help us out when we find ourselves at square one again? We're turning to the story of Ruth. It may seem like an odd way to start the year. Ruth is sort of buried in the first half of the Old Testament. The book named for her is only four chapters long. Seems like good summertime reading, maybe. We just came off the birth of Jesus. Shouldn't we be talking about something more connected to him? Turns out Ruth is pretty connected to Jesus. Remember his genealogy that we preached about six weeks ago now? She's one of only four women mentioned in that long list of unpronounceable names. So that seems like some indication that she's a pretty significant contributor to this whole Jesus story. Without her, he wouldn't exist. And yet, not a lot of pastors decide to kick off the year with the story of Ruth. I get asked a lot by you as curious churchgoers, how we come up with sermons and series and ideas. What's that process? Who decides? Is there some master schedule that we follow? And enough people have asked me about this that I think now is as good a time as any to explain how the magic happens. Twice a year, the pastors here at Platwoods, along with one or two others who preach occasionally, will gather for several hours to pitch ideas. And these come from everywhere. Books, conversations we've had, listening to you. What is it that's on our hearts, on your hearts? What are people hungry for? What do they need to hear? What is God speaking into our community right now? What questions are people asking? What's going on in the world around us? What parts of the Bible need a deep dive? And those ideas all go up on a whiteboard. And by the end of our session, we vote for five or six each. And the top vote getters go on my list and then I take a few days away each quarter to workshop them, research them, figure out where in the calendar year they make the most sense. Generally, we like to have almost a full year mapped out ahead of where we are right now. And we keep all the ideas, of course, so we've got a good stash the next time around. And if you've ever got a good idea or there's something you'd love to hear preached, please just reach out to a pastor, let us know. We're always thinking about this stuff. We're eager for new twists. But in my two and a half years here, Ruth always pops up on the board, but keeps landing on the cutting room floor because it was hard to figure out where she made sense in the calendar. So I finally sat down with the book of Ruth last year to tease out the themes and to figure out what to do with her. Turns out, as is obvious by now, that her story is all about starting over. She's starting over in unlikely relationships, She's starting over in an unlikely place, and she's starting over toward an unlikely future. 
And what better time of year to tell a story of starting over in all those ways than right now? If you have your Bible or a Bible app handy, you can join me in Ruth chapter 1, where we'll dive into her starting over point. She's not the main character of the story at this point. She's secondary to Naomi, her mother-in-law. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, had moved to Ruth's country, Moab, many years before when there was a famine in Judah. We'll talk more about the significance of these places next week. Naomi and Elimelech had two sons, but during their time as strangers in a foreign land, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi with those two sons who eventually marry local women from Moab. Unfortunately, Neither of those two sons make it very long. They also die. And so Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, were left without men to provide for them, to look after them, as was the social order of the day. So life is not great for Naomi. By association, we can assess that life was not great for Ruth either. Just starting out as a young woman, she's managed to find a husband, which secures her future. She would have provision, security, family for the rest of her life. She was all set and probably spent her days trying out new recipes and shopping for the cutest throw pillows for the family tent and dreaming of the children who would one day pelt figs at each other outside under the spreading palm tree. The best life available to her at the time seemed to be unfolding right before her very eyes. Until one day, it wasn't. Her husband is dead. Weirdly, right at the same time as his brother. No one knows how or why. It wasn't relevant to the story, apparently. So Ruth's dreams and probably her own future die right along with him. Not a lot of options for a young widow at the time. With a lot of work and cajoling, maybe her family could find someone else who might take her for a wife. Most likely, she'd have to return home and be a burden once again on her father and any brothers she might have had, being cared for by her family of origin. So here we are at her starting over point. Not one of Ruth's own making. She didn't want to start over, but she didn't have a choice. And in chapter 1, verse 6, we hear how the adventure begins. Then Naomi arose, along with her daughters-in-law, to return from the field of Moab, because while in the territory of Moab, she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. She left the place where she had been, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, "'Go, turn back, each of you, to the household of your mother,' May the Lord deal faithfully with you just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So they've all started down the road together, used to living as a family with one another. They're headed to Naomi's homeland now, hoping for food and provision from her family. But then Naomi defaults to reason. It, it makes the most sense for Ruth and Orpah to stay here in their home country with their families, take their chances on finding new husbands. They get real emotional about this and they cry. And then the scene grows even more dramatic. But they replied to her, no, 
Instead, we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, turn back, daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb that they would be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go, I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you since the Lord's will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. And then here is Ruth's deciding moment accompanied by a declaration now used in wedding ceremonies the world over. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and more so, if even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. Ruth has hitched her wagon to Naomi. When all was lost to her, husband, family, future, home, and the moment was upon her to start over, she didn't go into problem-solving mode or panic or make a five-year strategic plan for her life or wallow in self-pity. She chose a person and she walked with her. She didn't choose the logical person. They all realized that. It made infinitely more sense for Ruth to go back to her mother's home. Naomi pointed that out. Orpah made that choice. But something inside of Ruth, we don't know what it was, love, care, curiosity about Naomi's faith and homeland, something compelled her as she stood there on square one to align with Naomi, to declare her loyalty until the day she dies. She aligns herself with Naomi's physical location, where you go, I'll go, she aligns herself with Naomi's culture and values. Your people will be my people. She aligns with her faith. Your God will be my God. And she aligns with Naomi's future. Wherever you die, I will die. Ruth has determined that this is a person she wants, she needs in her life when she has nothing else. So Naomi stops talking. And off they go. The people we align with in our lives matter a great deal. We know this. Even from a young age, we care about who our kids make friends with as early as preschool and kindergarten because we know that who they follow, who they spend time with, will shape who they become and how they interact with the world. Our relationships impact the choices we make, the way we feel about ourselves, the way we feel about the world, what we value, what we don't value, the hobbies we take on, even the foods and drinks that we like. And a starting over point 
whether it's because you feel like your life has fallen apart or simply because it's the start of a new year. It's a perfect time to take stock of where and with whom we have aligned our lives. All too often, we can fill up our time with false alignments, virtual ones even. Do we spend so much time following people in the digital realm? Maybe they're our actual friends, or maybe they're just celebrities or people we don't really know or, but we're connected to. Do we spend so much time there that we have replaced real relationships with virtual ones? Or maybe we have hitched our wagon to a friend or a family member who, when we really think about it, isn't someone we want to emulate or who can help us along this stage of our journey. That's not to say that you cut them off, but maybe this is a year to invest some effort and energy into a new and different, unlikely relationship. Who, like Naomi for Ruth, has been where you are now and may have something to teach you? Who has a strong faith and a foundation to return to when she's in trouble? Who in your life is a good influence on you and who is someone who cares about you? Who is someone who has a different perspective from you? Maybe from another ethnic background or another generation or life stage or orientation. Someone who can help you see the world in a new way. And how might 2023 look different for you if you made a new or maybe a more intentional alignment with that person, if you started walking with them? Naomi was able to lead Ruth out of a time of scarcity, hunger, and heartbreak and into a time of survival and ultimately thriving. But as their story unfolds, it, it turns out that Ruth had much to offer along the way too. Naomi needed her, maybe as much as she needed Naomi. Naomi was older and they had been living through a famine. She was probably weaker. It wasn't safe for anyone to travel alone. So Ruth's presence and companionship brought safety and security on their journey. Ruth was a source of moral support as both women found themselves in the plight of widows. They were grieving, they were sad. Naomi is in a pretty dark place along the journey, as we find out. When she greets her extended family as they arrive in Judah, she carries on about how horrible the Lord has been to her, how they should call her Mara now because it means bitter, how she once was full, but now she is empty, which is ironic because she just left a land where there was no food to come here where there is food. Whether she knew it or not, Naomi needed emotional support, and Ruth was at her side the whole way. As soon as they settle in, we learn that Ruth goes to work, gleaning in the field, something Naomi couldn't do. So Ruth literally puts food on their table. Ruth aligned with Naomi because she needed her as she started over. But Ruth aligned with Naomi because Naomi needed her too. So often we might enter into a friendship or relationship only considering what we receive or what we can offer. But the best and most life-giving relationships are of course the ones where we do both. We may need the companionship, help, faith, advice, experience that another person has, 
But then we are delighted to discover that they value our sense of humor, our laid-back personality, our perspective, too. I think of stories that we lived and shared as a church last year, as recently as December, where refugee families, much like Ruth, who found themselves in a new city, needed friends, helpers, as they learned to navigate this corner of the world. And Platwood's people stepped in. We aligned with these families. We promised to walk with them. They needed us. But it didn't take much more than a visit or two to recognize how richly they were blessing us, how much we needed them to see our own culture in a new way, to love across language barriers and religious differences, to recognize the challenges and struggles of just trying to get around our own city, to receive the gift of overwhelming hospitality and good food from people very different from suburban Northlanders. Is there someone in your life in 2023 who you need to align with, who you need to walk with for a season because they may also need the care that you have to offer? What does it look like for an unlikely friendship to take shape in your life this year? One in which you learn and celebrate your own gifts that you have to share, too. As we turn the calendar page this year, we may find ourselves starting over in lots of different ways. Some of us may be hanging on by our fingernails, not even sure which way is up as the floor has fallen out from under us. We've been sent all the way back to the start of the game, and we're not sure we can play it again. Some of us may have bad habits and patterns that we want to offload and forge a healthier year ahead. And some of us may be doing just great and don't think that we need to change a thing. And yet, the new year invites us to at least consider what we want and what we need in our lives. My hope is that Ruth inspires you today as her starting over point began with a person began with an unlikely friendship that ended up changing the course of her life. Think about your own alignments today. Who are the people shaping your values, your faith in Jesus, your choices, your behaviors? And who is missing that you'd like to cultivate a relationship with? And how can you be a companion to them as well on your journey? What can you receive, but also what can you give? Anytime we're starting over, we're not meant to do it alone. Let's begin this year with companions in mind, and let's walk the journey, whatever it brings, together. Will you pray with me? God of Naomi, God of Ruth, God of all they lost and all they ultimately found, you are at the starting line with us every single time. However many times we've started over already, we're here at the beginning of another new year. And we don't need, nor do we want, to walk the journey alone. Open our eyes to the people you've placed in our lives to be unlikely friends along the way. Give us courage to step out and align with those we need. Give us time to invest in and care for new companions. 
Give us gifts of our own we can share to help others along their way. In the name of Jesus, descendant of Ruth, amen.